Welcome to the Live Well, Perform Better podcast. My name is David Duggan and I'm the director of Below the Line, an Irish-based consultancy specialising in helping people, teams and organisations raise their levels of consciousness, inner potential and performance. I am part of a team made up of experts from the worlds of business, elite sport, adventure and health and well-being. We are coaches, mentors and advisors to some of the world's biggest companies and organisations, as well as smaller businesses, entrepreneurs and people looking to make their mark in the world. Our guiding mantra at Below the Line is live well, perform better. What does that mean, you might ask? Good question. Maybe the easiest way to describe it from our perspective is finding the formula that works for you when it comes to things like looking after your physical and mental health, running your business, developing your career, leading your people, or simply being able to show up as brilliantly as possible into your own life, both for yourself and those around you. That's why each week I sit down with a member of our team or an invited guest for a conversation that focuses on the question, what do the words live well, perform better mean to you? This question is a way into exploring with people from a range of different backgrounds, industries and disciplines. What are the practices, techniques, habits or ideas that they use to help them to show up and be at their best in all areas of their lives? Whether that's as CEOs, leaders or managers, or as parents, family members or friends. We keep it short and sweet so that you can extract all the good stuff and get on with the rest of your day and hopefully put some of our knowledge, experience and expertise into play for yourself. This week I'm delighted to be joined by another very special guest, Seamus Ruan. Seamus is a community pharmacist based in the west of Ireland who is a passionate advocate for the power and benefits of making small changes to our lifestyles to promote better well-being and performance. Strongly influenced by the benefits of positive psychology and the work of Martin Seligman in particular, Seamus' story is one that encompasses his own personal experience of burnout early in his career and an awakening around what really mattered most to him, along with a desire to spread his personal message grounded in professional experience, science and passion to as many people as he can via his work as a pharmacist and through his iThrive Academy. You can subscribe at www.belowtheline.ie where you can stay up to date with our podcast as well as our exclusive online events and sessions including our Press Pause coaching community. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Before we start this week's episode, I'd like to take a minute to let you know about an event we are hosting on the 13th and 14th of October in the beautiful Brook Lodge Hotel and Spa in McCredden Village in County Wicklow. The Elemental Leadership Experience will be our first in-person event in over two years and we're really excited to be finally getting back into a room with people and hosting what will be a uniquely inspiring and exciting event. As we all know, the past few years have been a mixed experience for us all. For some, it has been about stress management, coping and survival, both personally and professionally, while for others it has been a time for recovery, reflection and self-care. Either way, we all know and can see that yet again our world is changing and with it so must our mindset, our attitude and our energy, which is why we're offering you the opportunity to recharge your leadership, rediscover your performance edge and re-inspire yourself to successfully meet the moment and challenge of right now. At the Elemental Leadership Experience, you will be a participant in two days of inspiring sessions, workshops and talks, facilitated by the Below the Line team of expert business and performance coaches, all while enjoying wonderful accommodation and hospitality in a beautiful part of the world, with a group of like-minded, success-orientated people. Places are limited, so if this sounds like something you want to be a part of, 
head over to www.belowtheline.ie for full details on how you can reserve your place. Thanks for listening, and now, on with the show. So, Seamus, yeah, please tell me, why do you do what you do? So, um, Davis, uh, as you know, I have worked my entire career as a community pharmacist. Um, but very, very early on in my career, it became obvious to me that um, medicines, although in many instances, would improve the quality of people's lives and could be life enhancing and life extending. They didn't and never will, I suppose, provide the answer to all of our, our problems. And there was so much that we can do um, on a personal basis, you know, from uh, making interventions in our lifestyle, the choices we make on a daily basis and the habits that we install in our lives on a daily basis. And there was one particular event that happened uh, very early on in my career as a pharmacist that really cemented my view in this area. And it was a very everyday kind of event. It wasn't like a big bolt of lightning that happened. Um, it was an everyday event in the life of a community pharmacist, I suppose. But on one particular day when I was working in the pharmacy, two guys came into me uh, separated by the space of a couple hours <clears throat> and as it happened I knew both of them from different aspects of my life different areas of my life and they were of the same age same weight same profiles in general but the way it happened was uh, both of them actually presented with a prescription for the exact same item the same strength the same dose everything about the prescription was the same and the prescription was for a statin which is a cholesterol lowering drug and the first guy came in, and we'll just call him John for, for ease. And John came in and said, Seamus, could you fill that prescription for me? I'll be back in five minutes. And I said, no problem, John. And off I went about my business, getting ready the prescription. And he went off uh, to do his, his jobs. And uh, he came back five minutes later. And when he came back, the door of the pharmacy swung open. And immediately when it did, the whole pharmacy was filled with this waft of freshly cut chips and battered fish and you know that smell when the salt and the vinegar kind of is oozing into the brown paper bags the whole pharmacy was filled with this lovely aroma and uh, so remember John was coming back for for medication to reduce cholesterol and essentially under his arm was a big bag of cholesterol so he um, he uh, took the prescription and off he went about his business and then as it happened, a couple hours later, another lad that I knew, we just called him, for argument's sake, we call him David. And David came in with the exact same prescription, same dose, same strength, um, same medication, everything was the same. And he said, Seamus, could you fill that prescription for me? And I said, well, of course, David. And then he said, but before you do, can I ask you a couple of questions? Can you tell me a little bit about that medication and how it works? And are there any supplements I should be taking while I'm on that medication? And what should I do with my diet? And does stress affect cholesterol? And what about exercise? Would that have any effect? So we had a great chat about uh, cholesterol and all the lifestyle interventions that he could make. And it was what happened then over the period, I suppose, of the next 12 to 18 months that really um, stimulated my interest. Because John, first guy, he came back every month to refill his prescription. And after a couple of months, his dose of his statin was increased. And another couple of months, uh, he was put on blood pressure medication. Uh, that was followed then by aspirin to keep his blood thin. And within 12 months, he was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Uh, he had to prick his finger a couple of times a day. And he was put on medication to control his blood sugar. Whereas David, 
uh, I saw him once a month, I suppose, for the next six months. And after that, I didn't see him in the pharmacy again. And that really, really fascinated me. That's, you know, the choices that we make on a daily basis could have such a profound effect. And I associated it, first of all, with the cholesterol. And then I said, well, if that's true for cholesterol, would it be true for other health conditions? And I found indeed it was. And then I said, well, if it's true for health conditions, would it also be true for things like our well-being, our satisfaction with our lives, or even with our happiness? The more investigated this, I suppose, the more I found that indeed, you know, the choices we make on a daily basis, the habits we install in our lives, uh, have a profound effect on the course of our lives. And as I've gotten to know you and uh, followed you a little bit, you know, I know that um, you kind of combine a pharmacist's kind of approach with um, a positive psychologist's kind of approach as well. And it seems to me that that's where you 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 kind of spend an awful lot of your time now, you know, whether that's in the pharmacy or, or, or out in the wider world, speaking to businesses or individuals. Is that the case? It is very much so, yeah. So um, positive psychology, I suppose I come from a, a science background. So my training has always been in science. And positive psychology is simply the scientific study of well-being. And I guess great comfort, first of all, for myself, when I was investigating the area myself, great comfort in knowing that there's research here, that there's um, results that we can rely on, that we know if we follow the tools and techniques that have been studied and researched and are science-backed, uh, that we will actually see results. So that gives me great confidence when I recommend tools or techniques to people, that I'm not saying, well, this is my opinion that this might work for you. I'm saying, you know, that there's actually, there's, there's studies, there's research here that shows if we do implement these things in our lives, that we will actually see results. And I know when it comes to, when I talk to people about their well-being and making improvements to their well-being, and people in general give me two answers as to why they're not fully engaging with them. The first is, is the one thing that we're all short of in today's society, and that's time. So people think, I don't have the time for this, Seamus, I'll do it whenever things cool down, you know, whenever I'm not so busy at work or the family have grown up or I'm not involved in other things. And people assume that they're going to have to make this massive in, in investment of time to, to make improvements to their well-being. But the science is quite clear in this and it shows us that it's the small daily habits that we consistently apply to our lives that ends up being effective. So we don't have to go off to the Himalayas for nine months and meditate in the cave to make an impact. It's small daily choices and I often make it easy for people to say, you know, a lot of the interventions we talk about will take you longer to brush your teeth on a daily basis than it will to engage with some of these interventions. And the second thing then that people say to me is, I actually, I'm interested in my well-being change. I don't actually know how to go about this. Can you tell me, and once again, we're time poor. So, you know, people want to know, can you tell me if I do invest time in this, that I will see results? And so it gives me great comfort to know then that there is a formula there and it's uh, you know it was proposed by a guy called Martin Seligman. He's the founding father of this whole area of positive psychology, and it's called a PERMAV model, P-E-R-M-A-V, and each letter stands for a different um, pillar of well-being. And so, if we address these six pillars, you know, we can, and we can show which pillars we're strong on at the moment, which pillars we're not so strong on at the moment. We can measure ourselves in each pillar, and the idea is we engage with you know these six pillars. Uh, to boost your levels of well-being. I think as well, one of the most motivations for why you do what you do probably centers also on your own personal story because you are a community pharmacist who 
started one business, uh, opened others and, and kind of had a bit of a personal awakening around some of that stuff as too. It, it, could you talk to me about that as well? Yeah, very much so. So um, I suppose the narrative I feel that we're all given from a very young age is, uh, you know, work hard. For example, work hard at school so you get on well at your exams, get on well at your exams so that you either get to college or you get, you know, a good job. Work hard at the job so you get promoted, get promoted so you have the nice house and the nice car and a couple of holidays abroad a year and then you'll be successful. And then when you're successful, this happiness will also massively follow. And um, so I kind of followed that formula from a young lad who was growing up in, in Mayo and um, I worked hard at school. Did well in my leaving cert. I was lucky enough to, to um, study pharmacy in Trinity. Uh, when I qualified there, I got a job, worked hard at that, got promoted, and eventually got you know to own my own business. <clears throat> and then uh, after a few years, you know, that business was going great. So I decided, sure, I'll open up another one. And another few years when that was going well, I said, sure, I'll open up another one. And that's a very common trajectory for you know a, a pharmacist in my position. And so there I was with three pharmacies. And at that stage, I would have thought, well, that's successful for me. But for some stage, for some reason at that stage, I, I just had a period of self-reflection. And what I found really surprised me. So um, instead of like experiencing this happiness that I would have assumed I would experience because I, I was in my own mind successful, I found I was stressed, I was anxious. Uh, there wasn't enough hours in my day to complete all the tasks I had to complete. Uh, my head was buried in invoices and statements and roses and um, stock control. And uh, I wasn't getting much exercise. My diet was poor. And by the time I got home in the evening to my lovely wife, Kathy, my three beautiful kids, I was too tired to engage with them. I was too distracted to engage with them. And so I wasn't showing up as the husband I wanted to be. I wasn't showing up as the father I wanted to be. And what I found essentially, I suppose, was that rather than bringing me closer to experiencing life satisfaction and happiness, you know, it was actually bringing me in the complete opposite direction. And at that stage, then I decided, and it was kind of countercultural at the time, I suppose everyone else, all my colleagues were expanding and opening up more pharmacies. Um, but I decided really that it wasn't for me. And um, so I ended up over a period of a couple of years selling off two of the pharmacies and uh, just having one pharmacy, which allowed me then to engage with this kind of work, the well-being work that I'm so interested and so passionate about. That's, I suppose, one of the things I was hearing, which was, you know, letting go of and relinquishing that side of your life just created space in your life for, for other things. So I'm curious to know more about um, the I Thrive side of your business. Could you just talk to me about that and, and what's the driving force behind that? Yeah, so I Thrive is um, a business that's focused on helping people to uh, examine and to improve uh, their well-being, essentially. And in the work that I do, uh, I define well-being as the ability to feel good and function effectively. And I think that's something that's really, really relatable to, you know, for people could very much relate to that whole idea. And um, we all want to feel good and we all want to function effectively. And we want not only for ourselves, but also for our friends, our families, our colleagues and their loved ones, our loved ones. And um, I feel there's a lot of confusion in that area as to exactly what well-being uh, is and um, I think the term itself is ubiquitous you know so I've seen well-being tarot cards and well-being crystals and I've seen well-being referred to in the British Medical Journal or the Journal of the American 
medical association. So that's a huge span for one word to encompass. And so I think there's a lot of confusion over, you know, exactly what is it that we're talking about when we speak about well-being. What is it that we should really understand about the term well-being? So I think if you ask people, in general, people are, are, are goal focused. And I think if you ask people about their goals and why they want to achieve them, um, people will give you various answers to that. But I think if you keep digging away at that and keep asking them, well, why is that important to you? And yeah. Why do you want that? Um, that the last answer to the last question is always because then I'll be happy. And so essentially what everyone and we all share, we all have so much in common as human beings. We all have the same physiology and psychology and the same wants and the same needs and the same hopes and desires and fears. And that's one thing that we all, every single person on the planet and every single person listening to the podcast, we all have this deep, innate human desire to be happy. And when we think about that, you know, happiness is just an emotion. And emotions are very fleeting and they tend to come and go and we can't hold on to them. And you know, we can't be happy all the time. It's not possible. It's not desirable. Um, so when we say we want to be happy, really what we mean is that we want to have a sense of calm and a sense of peace in our lives, or we want to be satisfied with our lives. And to me, life satisfaction and well-being essentially are one and the same thing. So your well-being is your ability to feel good and function effectively, which to me is the same thing as being satisfied with our lives. And so when we say we want to be happy, really, that's kind of shorthand for saying that we do, you know, want to experience high levels of well-being. So I do think that kind of nearly whether we know it or not, that well-being is the one thing that we're actually all chasing. And sometimes I think it gets a bad rap and that some people think that the whole area might be a bit fuzzy and a bit flaky and kind of a bit hippy-dippy. But to me, like, I have the exact opposite belief about it. I think that your well-being is by far the most important aspect of your entire life, bar none. And the reason I say that is because, you know, it acts as a foundation for all other aspects of our lives. And so we know, and once again, we'll go back to the sciences, we know that when we boost our levels of well-being, that it's associated with improvements in almost every single health outcome that we can measure. We know that if we improve our levels of well-being, that from our personal lives, that we experience more positive emotions, we're more engaged with our lives, our relationships improve, we have a greater sense of meaning and purpose, we tend to typically achieve more, and we have greater vitality, we have greater energy to go about our daily business. And then when it comes to our working lives, you, and there's any amount of research in this, you know, we know that when we experience, our employees experience high levels of well-being, they're more productive, they get better customer service ratings, they're more likely to make good leaders, they're less likely to quit and they're less likely to burn out. So the payoff in working with your well-being is absolutely enormous. Looking at my next question, um, which is about our strap line here and below the line, we talk about this idea of live well to perform better. I'd love to know, you know, just again, from your perspective as a, as a pharmacist, as someone passionate about positive psychology, what does that little strap line mean to you? Yeah, so it, it's a lovely strap line, to be honest, uh, David. I think it says an awful lot in four words. Um, and it ties in very well with the work that I do on well-being. You know, what I find in general is that people tend to go straight to the perform better part of the tagline. And so life is all about performance. And society is very, very much goal-focused. 
And typically what we do is we set goals for ourselves, whether they're short term or medium term or long term goals. And then we divide those goals up into various steps and uh, various actionable steps. And then we take action based on whatever those are. And that's kind of the default for, for us in general. You know, we all hop up onto the treadmill and we're all running around from A to B trying to achieve things, whether it's health related, work related, family related. Um, but for me, there's a huge glaring hole. There's a very, very important step missing in that. And the bit that most people miss out on, I feel, is on the live well part of the strap line. So it's all about perform better. But oftentimes people miss out on the live well. And to me, live well equates to really to our well-being. So in the chase of life, which is just the way things our society is set up, everything has to be bigger and faster and stronger than it was last year. And we're all trying to be someone or have something or achieve something. And oftentimes we end up chasing one goal after another. And when we achieve them, there may be a momentary high, but then we kind of become a bit disillusioned again. And we go chasing off after another goal because we haven't really changed how we feel. And so to me, um, I think it's really important that we place far more focus on the live well part of the equation, the well-being part of the equation. Um, because as I said already, well-being you know, is our ability to feel good and function effectively. And when we feel good and when we function effectively, everything else tends to fall into place. And our well-being is like a foundation that allows us to perform better um, in all other areas of our lives. And, uh, yeah. No, I was just, I suppose I've said this already, you know, that we know that this, this, this live well part of well-being is associated, let's say, with improvements in almost every single health outcome we can measure, improvements in our personal lives, improvement in our working lives, and so leads us um, to be successful in all those areas. And I'm building on that. And again, you touched on some of this already about small incremental habits. But I'm wondering, first of all, um, what are those practices or habits or behaviors that you engage in on a daily basis to help you? And maybe a second part of that question is, you know, how do you encourage others to build those habits into their their own repertoire of, of daily practices? Yeah, so um, the small daily practices, you know, I often talk about the, the concept of this, the power of 1% gains. Um, which means, as I say, like people oftentimes think that to make enormous lifestyle changes to improve their well-being, whereas the science shows us that it is just the small daily habits that we are consistent with. And when I say consistent, it doesn't mean we have to beat ourselves up if we miss a day or two, you know, but it's just in general having, you know, these habits in our lives. Um, and I find sometimes my biggest challenge is convincing people that um, tools and techniques that are so small can actually be effective. And so, you know, I tell people this, you know, maybe introducing these little habits into your life isn't going to make any difference to your life today or tomorrow or the next day. But when we're consistent about them, they bring us off in a completely different tra trajectory compared to taking no action at all or taking or making you know, negative choices in their lives. So for me, the daily practices that I engage in, like um, exercise is absolutely key to me. And in my own life has been a game changer. I think it's impossible to have a well-being plan that doesn't improve some element of movement in our lives. Um, modern day life is all about convenience and convenience seems to be king. So, you know, we can sit on the couch and we can change the channel, pressing the remote, we a few swipes on our phone, we can do the banking, a few clicks of a mouse, we can do the shopping. And life is kind of set up as if moving less was a good thing. 
but I'm sure even if you look around at your own desk, you know, we organize everything so that it's within reach, as if moving less was something beneficial to us. But we know that our bodies are actually designed to move. And modern life seems to have engineered movement out of our lives. And so we have to find ways to, you know, engineer it back in. So for me, I absolutely love running. I'm no good at it. I'm never going to break any records anywhere, but I absolutely love it. I hate running on the roads. So I love running it in nature. I'm so lucky where I live. I'm very close to the burn. So I go off up the hill in the burn. I go down to the woods in Clarence Bridge. I go to the sea over and more. And I find that so inspiring and so rejuvenating. And it's so good. I, I know it's so good for me physically, mentally, emotionally, uh, for stress relief. I just find it fantastic. Um, I'm lucky enough to live near the sea. So I go sea swimming year round. And uh, I find that gives my body a complete recess. And I often say to people, you know, um, you know, you're feeling tired, you're groggy, you're sluggish, and you do manage to build up the motivation to go for whatever it is for you, a cycle, a swim, a run, uh, a walk, whatever it is. And you come back and you're energized and your mood has changed and your thoughts have changed. And I often say to people, it's as if the person who went for the run or the walk or the cycle or whatever it is, is completely different from the person who comes back. And we know that you know, moving our body, it changes our biochemistry, it changes our nervous system, it changes which part of our brain is being expressed. And in many respects, from a physiological point of view, movement is like winning the lotto or hitting the jackpot because we get a surge of beneficial hormones and neurotransmitters and endorphins. And you know, we can often experience that runner's high, which, which many people describe as being like a spiritual experience. But exercise to me is absolutely key. Second thing I find really beneficial is meditating. And that's on a regular basis. I think it's a beautiful way to start off your day instead of just rushing up out of the bed and heading headlongs, you know, into whatever you have to do or your, your obligations are for the day. A lovely time to start off your day, spend a bit of quiet time um, focusing on your breathing, grounding yourself, connecting in with your body um, and maybe setting an intention for the day. And I definitely find on the days that I meditate, I'm far less reactive. I'm far more aware of my environment. I'm more aware of the people around me. I'm more aware of my thoughts and my emotions as they happen. And what I find the biggest benefit to meditation in my life certainly has been that whole idea of extending the gap between stimulus and response. Um, so that instead of uh, reflexively reacting to whether it's heavy traffic or being busy at work or somebody says something that doesn't really suit me, um, that you can create this little space so that I can choose a response. So just because the traffic is heavy doesn't mean I have to get stressed about it. Just because I'm busy at work doesn't mean I have to get anxious about it. And then I have other practices that come and go, Davis. So um, I frequently would practice uh, gratitude, a, a practice on positive psychology called Three Good Things. Um, so we all know we have a negativity bias, which means that left to its own devices, our brain is going to um, focus on the problems and the threats and the mistakes and the difficulties that we have in our lives. And so I find the practice of gratitude is a great way to rebalance towards positive emotions. Um, and then, you know, some things change up, like the gratitude practice comes and goes, a breathing practice would come and go. I do it sometimes, not other times. I listen to podcasts. I like listen to, to Jerry Hussey, to 
um, Joe Dispenza I'm listening to at the moment, a guy called Peter Crone. So anything, anyone that inspires you. Um, and then during the day, I like to um, make a point of purposefully connecting with other people. So whether that's family, friends, neighbours, um, but I find connecting with others and relating to others is absolutely key to, to my well-being. And uh, we all have that innate desire to belong to, to families, to communities, to groups. And um, yeah, I find that key as well. Yeah. What's the formula for unlocking or for people to crack that kind of just starting the habit and, and trying to keep it going in your view? So I find, and that's why I love the whole area of positive psychology, um, that when people hear so if we talk about the six pillars um, when people hear the material and I find this in, in, in feedback that I get from people that it just resonates with people so deeply and um, it's stuff that in your heart and your soul you just know it's right and you just know it works. So you know, the, the, the six pillars are positive emotions and so really what we're saying is you know and, and if you think of this, it's so logical that you just can't argue with, but sometimes it has to be pointed out to us. So positive emotions, what we're saying is the more positive emotions you experience in your life, the higher your level of well-being will be. And positive emotions are things like excitement, enthusiasm, love, joy, awe, interest, and pride. Now, doesn't it make perfect sense to us that if we've more of them in our lives, that we'll experience higher levels of well-being? And so the idea then is, well, do we have tools and techniques that to increase our positive emotions and we've loads of them and and then even when i start asking people well, what would you if you weren't in great form what would you go and do about it and people you know they can tell me straight away i'd listen to a little bit of music i'd ring a friend uh, i'd go for a walk with someone i'd take a bit of exercise people inherently know this stuff and gratitude like a fantastic way of boosting their positive emotions and then when you go on to engagement people already know that's present moment awareness and I say, I love running in nature. I absolutely love it. But I can tell you there's loads of times, David, that I go running in nature and I'm so befuddled in my head. I'm, I'm worrying about something or I'm anxious about something else. And I don't see any of us around me. So I may as well be running in a concrete box. You know, so it's just, um, you know, that whole idea of being present and how beneficial it is. And when you point that out to people, it's so obvious to people. Or it's for relationships. So... You know, don't we inherently know this when we connect with other people that people play such an important role in their lives and when we improve the quality of those relationships. So I talk to people in, in the module I do on relationships, I talk to people about kindness. Um, and don't, don't we just know, doesn't it resonate so much with you that if you're kind to other people and if we have more kindness in our lives, we improve the quality of our relationships. You know, I find very little pushback against any of those things we've you know meaning and purpose we've we've um achievement and then vitality i talk to people about diet and sleep and moving our bodies exercise um and so I, I think that people definitely get great comfort knowing that there's a science behind this and if they genuinely are interested in boosting their levels of well-being that if they implement these tools and techniques that it will actually work for them and I think it's an important point that you make there then that you say, you know, there's some things that work for you and some things you kind of figure out your own pattern. And I think that's really, really important. So one of the things that I do on the PermaV model, so we can measure people's score, this kind of self-rate themselves really on each of the six pillars. And so you might find I'm doing really well with positive emotion. I don't really need to do any work with there. So gratitude mightn't be important for me at the moment. But I find you know, I've neglected my relationships over the last couple of months. So what can I do to boost my relationships? 
And so you can find and well-being ebbs and flows and it's ebbs and flows in each of the six pillars. And so it's all about pausing and reflecting and examining what areas am I doing well in? What areas do I need to do a bit of work in? And I do definitely find this, that when people hear the material, it's just, it just resonates. It's kind of the stuff that your mother would have told you years ago when you were a young lad or a young girl. Um, and it's just that she was right <laughs> and the science behind this. Absolutely. And um, I'd love to know your perspective as well on, because um, I'm sure this, obviously this falls into the Perma V model, um, but just how important is fun and laughter? Oh, absolutely. Do you know what? Sometimes I feel we all get too worked up about things and we take ourselves too seriously and take life so seriously. But, do you know, when you think about it, like life is kind of simple, really. We, we really overcomplicate it. And I think bringing fun and laughter, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that in a way, because another area I talk about is strengths. And um, so that we're all very, very familiar with all our failings and our faults and things that we can't do right and things we wish we were better at and uh, the consequences of having all those failings have in us. But we all also have strengths, things that we're really, really good at and things that come naturally to us and things that come so naturally to us we don't even realise we have them as strengths. But one of the strengths, um, one of my particular strengths is a survey you can do to identify your strengths. One of my particular strengths is humour. And, you know, when I... Your strengths can be domain specific. So, you know, you can express them in one area of your lives and not in another area. So I love having a bit of crack and I love comedy and I love having a laugh with my friends and my family. I always try and create that nice, fun atmosphere. Um, but when I became aware that this was a strength of mine um, and I was examining this in my life, I found that I completely neglected humor in my working life and fun. And the reason I was doing that is because I'm the boss. And I was thinking, when I'm the boss, I can't really be messing and telling jokes and having the crack. And, you know, that sends out the wrong signal. But, but when I became aware of strengths and the importance of strengths, um, I started introducing fun and laughter and uh, having a bit of, of uh, humour and a bit of crack with, with my, um, my team. And, you know, it's been a revolutionary, actually, because it means that I wasn't kind of holding back a person, a part of myself. So I was being more authentic with my team. Uh, they were enjoying getting to know the real version of me rather than me being the boss. And um, it's, I suppose I performed better at work because it was really the real me that was showing up for work. But I think the attitude, that's kind of going off on a bit of a tangent in a way, I suppose, David, but I think the attitude that we bring to things is so important. Um, like, what I find is, you know, people, for example, know that something like yoga is really good for them. And so, but sometimes the energy that we bring to a practice like that. So sometimes we can say, oh, yeah, I'm going to do yoga and I'm going to do it three times a week. And then we can get a bit stressed about it and they go, geez, I missed one point last week now. And you can build up all this tension and anxiety about it, which the practice itself is supposed to do the exact opposite for you. I think the energy we bring to something is, is really important and fun and laughter. Uh, yeah, I think really important. Yeah. What are the main performance or business challenges, whatever you might see being faced by people right now? Again, just as I said, from your, from your own perspective and your own experience. Yeah. So what I found, I suppose, wearing both hats um, over the last two years, 
particularly uh, during over the time of the pandemic. So I run a six-week uh, wellbeing program. It's called Your Wellbeing Toolkit. And as part of that, we measure people's well-being in the six pillars that we've already talked about. And it's a simple self-reflection, it's a zero to 10 score. Um, but what I have definitely found that's been very, very clear over the last two years is that two of the six pillars in particular have uh, really been negatively affected by the whole pandemic. Um, and the first of those, it'll come as no surprise to you, Davis, the first of those is positive emotions. So there was a complete lack of excitement, enthusiasm, joy, laughter, fun, uh, and our lives seem to be full of anxiety and worry and stress and uncertainty. That was one pillar that I found really, really suffered. And the second pillar then was the whole area of relationships. Relationships absolutely key to our well-being. And, you know, because of the restrictions, because of cocooning, we couldn't travel certain distances from our houses, pubs were closed, restaurants were closed, so our ability to gather, our ability to meet and to communicate with each, with each other were, were greatly effective. And what I found since the end of the pandemic, or maybe the later stages of the pandemic, I'm not sure what we should call it at the moment, but that there is an overhang from that, and there's a lag effect in those two areas. So I find this in my well-being work and also in the pharmacy I see on a daily basis. And, you know, there is still huge amounts of anxiety out there, low mood, overwhelm, um, and social anxiety as people are now returning to work. And I think also that many sectors are experiencing work practice changes, which are stressful in themselves, and loads of sectors are experiencing staff shortages, which is putting immense stress on the workforces and the teams that are in place. And I think, you know, that can be seen in teams and companies and in organizations and also in individuals. And I also think over the last couple of years on the positive side that there has been a bit of an awakening in society that employers now see well-being rather than being a tick box exercise or seeing this as being something should we have a few yoga classes or we have a few meditation classes and we have the well-being looked after. That people are taking it far more seriously and well-being now has very much come to the fore. Um, and that ties in really nicely for me because, as I say, I have the belief that the well-being or your well-being is the foundation of success in all areas, not aspects of your life. And it also seems to me, um, and I don't know where businesses are kind of getting to with this, but that you're right, that, that point you made about we'll, we'll put on the yoga classes or whatever it might be. Actually, there's a lot more to it than that, that businesses and organizations should be looking at how they organize their workload <clears throat> excuse me how they organize timetables how they um encourage staff to think about taking rest and that type of stuff are you seeing that or is that you know do you still still see more of the kind of we'll, we'll put on a well-being day or we'll have a lunch and learn session or what would your take on that be yeah so i think it varies hugely but i definitely think there are more companies that are taking it far more seriously and as i say instead of seeing this as simply a tick box exercise i think have a more genuine interest and maybe because you know employers themselves or heads of organizations have experienced themselves very the stresses and the strains and the anxieties over the period of the last couple of years that there is almost like a bit of an awakening in society or a bit of um, enlightenment that we do recognize um, that you know, well-being is key to everything. And that whereas before, as I said, 
it may have been seen as a bit fluffy and a bit lightweight and a, bit, a, bit, a little bit hippy-dippy, um, that now it's seen as being a serious topic, uh, fundamental to people's performance. And once again, what I love about, about positive psychology is that there's any amount of research, we don't even need to do any more research. There's any amount of research to, to show the improvements, as I say, in, in your personal life and also in your working life and to the bottom line for companies. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then finally, uh, Seamus, my last question, what's the one piece of advice you would give to anyone looking to live well and perform better? Um, I suppose what's for me, David, over the last couple of years has been a bit of a game changer, has been to the whole idea of prioritising uh, a sense of calm and a sense of peace in my life. I think the, the default for people and the, the way society is set up is that we all hop up on the treadmill and we don't even ask the question why we're up on this or what we're trying to do on it. But it's all about bigger, faster, stronger. It's all about goals and achievement and performance. And um, I'm not saying that goals and achievement aren't important. I think that's really, really important for me to stress that, of course, they're crucial to our lives. And we see from the, the six pillar model of well-being, the PERMA-V model, um, but they're only one of the six pillars of the model. And what we tend to do, I think, in a lot of cases is that we tend to put all our eggs into one basket. And oftentimes our lives can be about achievement and about goals. And we do that to the detriment of the other five pillars, to the detriment of our emotions, the detriment of our relationships, to the detriment of our vitality and our health. Um, and so I think the whole idea of prioritizing well-being um, and recognizing how impactful that, that can be. I think self-care is so important. Um, and the whole idea of relaxation and rejuvenation, you know, I think sometimes those things would be seen as being unproductive and have been a bit aimless. But I think it's really important that we dispel that myth and recognize that life is about, you know, highs and lows, about peaks and troughs, about stopping and starting, about day and night, winter and summer, you know, there's, there's, it's ebbs and flows. And for me, the whole idea then of calm and peace I think it allows us to show up as the best version of ourselves, um, allowing us to achieve our goals. I think it's important that we consider before we take any action, that we decide, well, who exactly is going to take the action? So if you imagine that there's two versions of yourself available to take the action to achieve the goals. So for example, the stressed, worried and anxious Davis, and there's calm, relaxed and peaceful Davis. And who, or which version do you think is going to make the better decisions? Who's going to have the more productive thoughts, emotions? Who's going to take the smarter actions? And as a result, who's going to get the better results? And for me, it's so obvious that you know, it's, it's the version of us that's in the positive emotional state. So I think prioritizing state management, becoming conscious of how we feel, what our thoughts are like, what our emotions are like, and then Awareness is the first part of that. And the second part then is being agile about it, being able to do something. So if the thoughts I'm having aren't productive, if the emotions I'm having aren't serving me, do I have the ability to shift them and to change them? Yeah, yeah.
Fantastic. Fantastic. Seamus, you've been really generous with your time and just sharing so much of your knowledge and your expertise and your story. So thanks very much. Uh, lastly, just uh, people obviously can find you in your community pharmacy in person, but they can also find you online with I Thrive. Is that right? And the the um, your development toolkit as well. Um, just uh, tell tell us, uh, tell the listeners where they can find you. Yeah, so um, ithrive.ie, so it's www.ithrive.ie and all uh, details of the work that I do in the whole wellbeing space are there, David, and contact details are there as well. So thanks very much uh, um, for the chat, David. I really, really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for listening to this week's conversation. We hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard and you want to stay in touch with us, then please head over to www.belowtheline.ie to subscribe to our mailing list and to explore our upcoming programmes and events, including our Elemental Leadership Experience coming up on the 13th and 14th of October. Until then, take care and see you next time.